have just heard the first two verses of the hymn that we're going to be taking a look at on this Rumination Tuesday, when in the hour of deepest need, and that's what we do on Tuesdays. We help you to understand the words of a hymn so that when you sing it, you're also thinking of the words. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is Pastor Mark Smith. Hi, Mark. Hey, Tom, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Do you ever use this hymn very much? Well, I'm I'm familiar with the melody, and I'm I'm sure I have used it. I can't say I use it a whole lot, but right. um, but the the to me, what's important is is the melody familiar, and it is. Yes, yes, it was um, written by Paul Eber, who was born 1511, died 1569, and was of course in Germany. And his parents recognized his intellectual gifts, and he continued to study in Ansbach. But while traveling home, he had an accident that left him handicapped for the rest of his life. He fell off his horse, and the horse dragged him for one mile. Oh, boy. Goodness sake. But... It's lucky, lucky that he lived through that. Yes, but he was handicapped the rest of his life. His instructor, Joachim Kamer Arias, was a close friend of Philip Melanchthon. And he sent Paul Eber to Wittenberg in 1532, where he studied under both Luther and Melanchthon. Wow. And Melanchthon made him his amanuensis. You know what that word means? Yeah, I've heard. I, th- I always thought it was pronounced amanuensis. It could be. Uh huh. What's it mean? I think it's an assistant, apprentice, something like that. Very good. He takes dictation, copies items. Uh, we today would call him a scribe. He ended up being a professor of Hebrew and became a preacher in Wittenberg at the Castle Church. And following Melanchthon's death in 1560, he became the leading thinker among the theologians in electoral Saxony. So he was really regarded as a great theologian. In fact, he was named the preacher in the town church of Wittenberg. Do you remember... That's after the pastor there died. It was the pastor of Martin Luther. Do you remember his name? It was Johannes Bugenhagen. Oh, yes. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. Yes. Well, he died, and then Paul Eber became the pastor there. Hmm. He wrote a treatise on the Lord's Supper. He wrote sermons on the gospel lessons for the Sundays. And he also had a series of sermons on the catechism. In our hymnal, there are two hymns. The one is the one we're looking at today, when the in, in the hour of deepest need. And the other one is, Lord God, to thee we give all praise. So that's his background. And did you notice who the translator was? I sure did. Catherine Winkworth. 
and we talked to her about her quite a bit a couple of weeks ago. But the um, I, I was unfamiliar with Lois Bergeois, who was the writer to the tune. He was a cantor, born in 1510, died in 1561, and he taught psalm singing to the choirs at the churches of St. Pierre. And guess who preached there? John Calvin. So he was under his influence quite a bit. And he tried to improve the psalm tunes that had previously been censured by the Genevan Council in 1550. And because he tried to improve them after they had been censured, he was imprisoned for a day, only to be released at the behest of John Calvin. So he went to Lyon, L-Y-O-N, and he became a master of the choristers there, that's the choirs, but he got into a little trouble because he had his daughter baptized in a Roman Catholic church. Well, he is a well-known composer of hymns, and that now leads us to the hymn that was written by Paul Eber when in the hour of deepest need. And you can understand that he wrote that in light of various things that were happening at that time, including the terrible accident that had occurred. So without further ado, would you begin with stanza one? Okay. When in the hour of deepest need, we know not where to look for aid. When days and nights of anxious thought, no help or counsel yet have brought. One would think that in the hour of deepest need, he was talking about, of course, his accident. But when this was written, 1566, it was when the Turks raged in Hungary and there was pestilence in the region in in which he lived. And so, remember, there were wars going on between the Lutherans, uh, Roman Catholics, and and the Turks. And so that's really what had happened here. But there's an interesting thing about this. There was uh, a Swedish general, the Swedish forces were also going against uh, the Lutherans uh, in Leipzig in 1644. And what happened, the Swedish general was launching grenades into the city. And the people were begging him to stop, but he would not. So what happened, this is very interesting, the pastor took out 12 boys that were clad in white and went to the Swedish general's tent. And what they did, they sung this hymn. And when they were finished, the pastor had barely begun to speak when the general rose and embraced him. 
recognize him as an old friend at school. No kidding. And he ordered that food and supplies be provided to the city, and he treated the people well. So isn't that kind of interesting? That is interesting. Goodness sake. It was the him as well as the recognition of his old friend. Yes. But the hymn's words are really interesting. And can you understand how this hymn can be used today uh, during the oh, yeah. virus that's going oh, around? Oh, yes. With, uh, with all the trouble, the unrest uh, in various cities. Um, you know, I was just listening to the news last night about a poor couple that had uh, that had emigrated to this country, and they they tried hard to get a business going, and they were in Minneapolis, and now their uh-huh. business has turned to rubble. And I felt I felt so sorry for them to, to hear their story. They had, they were so glad to be in America where they had freedom, and now now this faces them. I couldn't yes. help but think of their that instance when I went through this hymn. Now, we're trying to figure out why they chose this hymn for the 11th Sunday after Pentecost. It's actually the hymn of the day for another Sunday in the one-year lectionary and also in another Sunday of this lectionary. What's interesting is the Matthew 15. Everybody knows this about the Canaanite woman who wants to have her daughter who's severely oppressed by a demon, healed. And Jesus ignores her. And so there's a phrase in verse 1, but gently will reprove me. Now, see, that's really talking about law, not gospel. And what did John the baptizer, what was his ministry all about? Well, repentance. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes. And what what's so amazing with this uh, Canaanite woman, Jesus is testing her faith and refers to her as a dog. And she doesn't walk away from Jesus. She doesn't get mad from him. But she refers to herself as a dog. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And so she recognizes that she is a sinner, does not deserve this healing, but is asking for mercy. And remember what mercy is. Not getting getting what we deserve, namely punishment. Exactly. And so it really fits well with that uh, message. All right, go ahead with stanza two. Okay. Then is our comfort this alone, that we may meet before your throne. To you, O faithful God, we cry for rescue in our misery. Okay. So what would you say about that part? Well, of course, it fits right in with uh, with the, the gospel, the, the story of the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, yes. You know, uh, uh, to you, our faithful God, we cry for rescue in our misery. Uh, our comfort, our comfort when when all, all things around us are going 
are going badly, that we may meet before your throne. I mean, what comfort that is. No matter how bad the situation is, we will see our Savior. We'll stand before his throne forgiven, accepted, and, uh, and welcomed. What great comfort yes. that gives us and assurance. Do you, did you often, when you met with shut-ins, you have a devotion, the Lord's Supper, uh, did you ever look at hymns? Yeah, particularly if I had, if I was using a devotion, sometimes devotions have a little hymn at the end, particularly then. That's true. Or, or, or when it's a seasonal, a seasonal devotion like Advent or Lent, you know, a lot of times they'll have, uh, they'll have a hymns connected with it. Yeah, hymns are, hymns can really be comforting. You know, I was talking with uh, our pastor at Prince of Peace the other day, and he asked me, he said, Do you ever get ch- did you ever get choked up when you were preaching? And I have to say, no, I never got emotionally choked up when I was preaching. But at, at a particular hymn, when we were using a particular hymn, sometimes I would get choked up. So he, hymns can really affect us emotionally. Well, you preached last Sunday. I'm yes. confident you got a little bit choked up for the sermon hymn. That's the naval hymn. Oh yeah, the Navy hymn. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, that is that is a moving hymn. Because of your Boy. background. Yes. Yeah, and your dad's and such. Right. All right, I'll read three. For you have promised, Lord, to heed your children's cries in time of need. Through him whose name alone is great, our Savior and our advocate. Now there's one word there that is really critical. I was doing a lot of thinking last night that if I was in front of a group of 100, 200 people and I was explaining law and gospel, most of them would think the law of the Ten Commandments telling us what we are to do to please God, when in reality the law is given to us by God to show that we cannot please Him by our works. We cannot be saved by obeying the law perfectly. But then there's one word Melanchthon used when he talks about the gospel. He, he doesn't, in the Latin, say the word gospel. You know what word he uses? Promise. No. Promise, huh? He uses the word promise. And look at the first line of verse 3. For you have promised, promised Lord. Lord. See, this is the basis of Christian faith. Yeah, faith is, is, faith is in our... his promises. Exactly. And the promise here is that he would heed our children's cries in times of need. And he would become our advocate, which means advocate before the Father. All right, stanza four, please. And so we come, O God, today, and all our woes before you lay. For sorely tried, cast down we stand, perplexed by fears on every hand. And, of course, he's dealing in that situation with a terrible, terrible wars going on, etc., And so we can understand why he's asking this. By the way, in the earliest print of this hymnal, it's headed, The Prayer of 
Josephat out of Second Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, remember, he was king of Judah, yes. and he was informed that a large force of Moabites and Ammonites were coming to attack Judah. He was afraid. And I'll tell you, Second Chronicles chapter 20, 6 to 12, is his prayer. And it ends, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, I don't know if you remember what happened then. Uh, the Lord set an ambush against Judah's enemies, and they destroyed themselves in battle with one another. And therefore, Judah did not have to fight at all. How about that? That's something. Yeah, it kind of reminds you of uh, Gideon's victory, where uh, he's so surprised and uh, startled the uh, Midianites that in the yep. darkness... They didn't know who they were fighting and ended up killing themselves. Well said. That's another example. Yeah. This, uh, but you know, this, tends, uh, this reminds me, this remi that prayer of Jehoshaphat, uh, that yeah. reminds me of how Peter, in the last Sunday's gospel, how, dear Lord, save me. Save me! I'm I'm I, I'm helpless here. I'm I'm sinking beneath the waves. And he and and about all you can say for Peter is at least he knew who to call to. Yes. In fact, um, this is kind of a reminder of the wrestling with God that we go through, just as Jacob wrestled with God in Genesis 32, and as our gospel, the Canaanite woman was kind of wrestling against the testing of Christ in today's gospel. And she held Jesus to his promises. And right. that's what Stanza 3 is doing. That's so, what God wants us to do. God wants us to hold him to his promises. Stanza 4, please. You bet. And so we come, O God, today, and all our woes before you lay... For sorely tried, cast down we stand, perplexed by fears on every hand. Maybe it's the fifth one you wanted me to read. No, the fourth is good. Okay. Because we really hadn't talked about that. This kind of paints a portrait of woeful, tired, perplexed Christians gathering before the throne of grace to plead the Lord's help. That happened in your worship service last Sunday because they did their confession of sins. I don't know which one you use, but I like the one where we deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. Punishment, right. And we're perplexed by fears on every hand. Mm -hmm. So now move to stanza five. Oh, from our sins, Lord, turn your face. Absolve us through your boundless grace. Be with us in our anguish still. Free us at last from every ill. Notice that this is a confession of sin. Asking first pardon from sin, unbelief, and self-trust. But with the full confidence that the Lord absolves repentant sinners and delivers them. 
This is a great summary of Christian theology, don't you think? Yes. That's you know that's what faith is. Faith is clinging to God's promises. It's it's it includes repentance. Uh, and and that's what we say from our sins lord turn your face we realize we're poor miserable sinners deserving of of certainly not of his mercy or or anything but uh nevertheless we cling to his promises that he will absolve us through his boundless grace and stanza 6 which i will read shows the results of this so we with all our hearts each day to you our glad thanksgiving pay. Then walk obedient to your word, and now and ever praise you, Lord. So that's the response of what we call sanctification. How would you explain that? Well, we respond. We respond to his his complete mercy and grace, his forgiveness, with uh, with thanksgiving our whole life. Uh, should be a, a life of thanksgiving to him. I mean, by the way, this would, this would I suppose this would be a good Thanksgiving hymn for Thanksgiving Day. Oh, I'm trying to think what hymn dealing with justification as this one does would not be appropriate for Thanksgiving Day. Right, that's right. No doubt about that. And walk obedient so, to that's what how we that's how we respond to his mercy by walking obedient to his word. Never perfectly, but nevertheless we still we still live our lives as a thank offering to him. Because we believe he has absolved us, as the pastor says, in the absolution. Right. By his authority. So that is really a good hymn. We're definitely going to be using it Sunday when in the hour of deepest need because people have a lot of need today during what's going on in the country. That's for sure. Tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're going to be looking, continuing CFW Walther's study on law and gospel. And he has another point that is quite interesting. I'm Tom Baker, and Mark Smith was on with us. Join us tomorrow. God bless you. Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.